0: and lord we just come before you presenting ourselves to you just as we are but father we're asking you that you do not leave us as we were but father you would continue to mature us to continue to grow us in our christian faith lord that we would live lives that are honorable to you in order to achieve that purpose today we open your word to the section of scripture that you have given us and pray father as you teach us as you would instruct us that we would have a heart to hear and a mind to do. And so, Father, we just thank you for this morning, praying that you'd bless us in it. Lord, I lift up Florida and the things that are going on with Hurricane Irma right now, and just pray that you would just do a work and that your will would come to pass. We pray for the things going on in Houston still, Lord, that we would see our responsibility in ministering to the people there. And so, Father, there's so much work of ministry, but right now we pray that you would prepare us for, Lord, the things that you have laid before us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? How are you? It's good to see you. good morning hey that was pretty good you guys been practicing go ahead and turn your bibles to the book of hebrews hebrews chapter 10 will be starting at verse 1 planning on going through to verse 18 i got a new headset and somebody with big ears has been wearing it and i think that would be richard where's rosemary <laughs> go ahead and stand for the reading of god's word i forgot to ask if anybody needs a bible i don't know if scott will still see your hand but uh, if you raise your hands the ushers will bring a bible to you Uh, there should be one in front of you underneath the seat but if there isn't the ushers will do that and when you receive it open to hebrews chapter 10 starting at verse 1 i'm going to read through to verse 7 for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. Can never, with the same sacrifices which they are offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, because of this when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said behold I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will O God. Once again Father we just pray for the section of scripture that you have given us. I pray Lord that through this study we would put things in proper perspective our our old thoughts and perceptions of religion, our old past religious experience. And Father, we would focus upon the personal, this relationship that you have fostered with us, all built upon a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so once again, Lord, we just open our hearts, praying that you would fill them with your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Once again, this writer is writing to Jerusalem. We do not know who the author of Hebrews is. So many people try to make guesses. I'm just of the mindset the Bible doesn't tell us, so it's just not important. Nonetheless, a constant theme throughout all of the book of Hebrews is better. Jesus And we're seeing today, he is the better sacrifice. And with most things, the writer writes of the futility of the old, the shortcomings of the old, to show the fruition of the new. Salvation? Well, part of my past religious experience was works-based religion. Attempt for me to be justified before God apart from faith just the good deeds that I did somehow would give me merit with God. Now, there will be works, but all God-glorifying things that man is able to do have to be built upon the foundation of faith. It has to start with faith, and I'm not talking about in Calvary Chapel faith in the Bible, faith in your Lord and Savior and what he's done and what he's continually able to do. In the book of Romans chapter 4 verses 4 through 5, it says, now to him who works, and this is works apart from faith, the wages or what you receive from that are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. The problem with the priesthood, is with all religious routine, it can so easily be done without heart. And so here you're a priest, Old Testament priest. People are sinners. And because of that, well, your workload is based upon the sinful nature of the people that you dwell amongst. Now just think, if your workload was based upon the amount of sins that are committed by a group of people, you'd be working your fingers to the bone because the sinning just simply never stops. And so the priest would come and, okay, here's another cow, another sheep, another dove, whatever it is, constantly making the sacrifice, constantly having to kill these animals, blood all over the place, and the whole thing. And it just simply never stops. And my point being here is, he's going to get up out of bed. Here we go, same place, same thing. It just never ceases. It just never stops. So what's happening here, this one who's supposed to be representing you to God and God to you, he's coming to work and he's leaving his heart at home. He's not doing this with his, because we're all human and we know how that is. How many times have you gone to work and didn't really feel like getting up out of bed in the morning? Something was going out of work and you didn't really feel like facing it that day. You went through the motions because you knew that was required of you, but you didn't really bring your heart. Well, how much more so is that so tragic if the person representing you to God has really no heart to do so? In Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, "'The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, God, you will not despise.'" We are to have a heart that breaks concerning sin, both our own and the sin of others. This is a heart that is pliable to the word of God, patient under the rod of God, a heart subdued and brought into obedience by by the, the precepts of God. It is a heart that is tender and trembles at God's word. Pray that such a heart would be in you. It's the desire of the Lord for your life. And so again, verses 1 through 4, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not of the very image of things, can never with these same substances or same sacrifices, which are offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Just to visit this one more time, just just real quickly. If your sins have just been covered, and that's what the Old Testament sacrifice did, they can always become unsacrificed. uh, I'm sorry, uncovered. And why I say that is there's the conscience, and the conscience continues to gnaw at you. And you know you're not right with God. And there's a whole pile of sin that is still there, but it's just been covered. But again, what if it's uncovered as I'm standing in the presence of God when he's making the determination if I'm worthy to spend eternity with him? And so there is that burden, there is that mindset. And the problem here is is that the blood of bulls and goats will never relieve man of the burden that his conscience would be or would Well, really what it is. And so the priest and the sacrifice, they failed. But God knew that this was going to happen because the only one who was ever going to prevail was God himself. The priest and his sacrifice failed, and it did not allow man to draw close to God. The priest and his sacrifice also failed that it could not remove sin. Again, it just covered it. And then thirdly, it was all external. I mean, I don't know what your past religious experience was, but mine was connected to a denomination that I was told I needed to stay connected to that denomination if I wanted to get into heaven. And, and, and because of that, it was all about the external. And I saw that amongst the, my family. I saw it amongst the others, and I just saw it. Just, it just ran rampant, just, just how, well, the hypocrisy of it all. Matter of fact, my father, as we were growing up, he was a big donor in the church. And because he was a big donor in the church, we got to spend time with the Monsignor. That's a priest two steps up, something like that. And I'm looking, you know, as Monsignor comes over to dinner or whatever it might be, he's talking inappropriately to my mother. He's talking about these experiences that he's experienced down in Mexico that aren't really good. I was shocked when he lit up a cigarette, and then he's sitting there drinking to excess that my father had to drive him home. And, and it's just one of those things that the Lord's using in my life. Now, I'm not saying if, you know, you're smoking, you're going to hell. You're not going to go to hell because you smoke. You just smell like you've been there. <laughs> drinking, Drinking's not going to send anybody to hell. And so I'm, I'm not being overly legalistic about it, but I'm just looking at the well, the, this person, when he's not up at that platform, what kind of person is he? And again, there was no heart, there was no passion for the Lord. And so we experience these things. And well, I can even, well, it can even happen here at this church. This church can be, we can be just as dispassionately about these things as anybody else can. All you have to do is to remove your heart before you come here. Just think that you're doing God's service by showing up at Calvary Chapel, Ontario for an hour on a Sunday morning. You can replace it with your acts, thinking that you're doing something important in the sight of God without the heart that is to be given to God. You can regress some 2,000 years to the times before the cross, but we are after the cross. We can look back and see where the animal sacrifice, it it, it failed, it fell and failed, and we see the superiority of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ that opened the gates of heaven to all of humanity simply by faith. And when we understand that, then we stay close to the cross. We understand the magnitude of the love that God expressed towards us. I mean, you see in our society today, that's what mankind is missing out. Where's the love? We see very little love across the landscape of our country today. It's more warlike than it is love-like. We see the various relationships that people pursue, and, well, there's anything but love that is tied up in that. But it's the love of God that's made the difference to all of our lives who are born-again believers, where mankind has failed, where the world has failed, where religion has failed, God has prevailed, and he has done so in such a glorious manner. So really what I want to look at through the remainder of the chapter and our time together is the sacrifice of our Savior and how the sacrifice of our Savior prevailed over anything that we could have done, anything that man could have done, and even anything over that the Jewish sacrificial system could have achieved. So first of all, and really what we need to see here just to kind of set the stage for the remainder of our Sunday morning study, we've been looking at the writer of Hebrews. He's meticulous. This is better. The sacrifice is better. The tabernacle is better. Our Savior's been going so on and on and on. And really at the end of verse 18, he's going to start in with, because of these things, now then how should we live? We're going to get very practical after today what is to be our response for these things that God has done because although we don't work for salvation we work because of salvation and we are to have a response to what God has done so the first thing that I want to I want to look at is how the sacrifice of our Savior prevailed or why did it it's because number one the strength of God's character verses five and six Therefore, when he had come into the world, he said, now when it says he... You know, I I mentioned earlier Jesus, really what it is, he's Messiah. Now, Jesus fulfilled the office of Messiah. And the reason why Messiah is quoted is because Messiah is quoted in the Old Testament. And What we're seeing here is how Jesus is the fulfillment of the office. He's the one who, who took the office of Messiah. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. See, God, who cannot lie, devised this holy sacrifice according to his divine will. God's plan? To deal with sin according to the atoning death of Christ that was constructed not because of sin, or at least not after sin, But because God and his divine knowledge knew of the sinful nature of mankind, it was developed before the foundations of the world. Why is that important? Because God's plan for salvation was not a knee-jerk reaction to the sinful nature of man. And, And what I mean by that is salvation didn't enter into sin, sin entered into salvation. And what I mean by that is God's plan was already prepared. So when the sinful nature of mankind appeared, it entered into God's plan. And how that's applicable to our lives, isn't that how it worked in your life? It wasn't so much that salvation entered into my sinful nature, but it's when I saw God's plan for salvation. It's when he touched and he changed my heart. It's when I understood the futility of my ways and who I am that I entered into this grand and glorious new life that I was born again. And it wasn't by religious experience. It wasn't by the works of the flesh which I have done. It was all about the love of God that God so loved Mike that he gave his only begotten son, that when Mike believed, he no longer would suffer for eternity, but now he would have eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing when I think about it. God had all of this prepared. And so really when I look back, I was just entering into what God had for me. And I looked at my life in so many wasted years when I was there, sometimes at the very door, and I turned away but through the grace of God and the patience of God, I was able to enter in. In Ephesians chapter one, verses three through four, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, as far as past tense, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you're a born again believer, God looked at you, and God chose you. So what about the people who aren't saved and aren't going to be saved? Did God just create them for fodder for the fires of hell? God's divine will, I don't always understand it in detail, but the Bible's very clear. If you're a born-again believer, God has chose you. As far as the people who aren't or maybe never will— God has chosen them for salvation. They unfortunately have refused him. But I look at this concept, and it's an amazing thing because, you know, we all try to put our best foot forward. We try to impress people, maybe with our intellect, maybe it's appearance or whatever it might be. But God sees through all the facades that we build. He knows who I am down to the core of who I am. And the amazing thing is, he still chose me he still looked down upon me and said, I want him. Even being yet unformed, we're going to be looking at this in our study in the, in the book of Jeremiah, how God knows us before, well, even as we're being formed in the womb, we're going to be starting Jeremiah on Thursday nights. God looked at me and he said he wanted me. Very few times in my life has that happened. My kids never chose me. They're stuck with me. My wife chose me, but I put the best, it was false advertising, I put the best foot forward. I had a full head of hair, I dressed nice, I had great manners and the whole thing until the day that we were married, then the hair fell out and I was revealed for who I am, but she stuck with me as well. But God, knowing all of the warts and all of the imperfections, said, I want him and he said the same thing to you. Think of the power behind that. Every shame that you have in your life, God looked through that and said he wants you. Everything that you have ever done, the things that you probably never told anybody else and maybe haven't even admitted to yourself, that that dreadful skeleton in the closet, God not only did away with the skeleton, but again, through that, and he said, I want you, and he brought you into this glorious family, and it's just an amazing thing that, that when you consider these things, what God has done, and what we also need to consider as God has saw through all of those imperfections, I need to see through them as well in my life first, but in the lives of my brothers and sisters, because there's not a one of us who deserves to be in God's kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, now the idea here is, is that he was prepared for this time. It's as if God was standing at the edge of heaven, waiting to come down, understanding his mission and his purpose. Jesus, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice because he offered it in perfect submission and obedience to God. Now there was the sacrifice that was called for in the bulls and the goats, but I don't think anybody ever asked the bulls and the goats. I think when they realized what was happening to them, they probably weren't on board with it. But think of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Think of God. God is seated in heaven, and as he's seated in heaven, he understands the mission that is before him. He understands what needs to occur here in order to have relationship with mankind. Now, not just mankind at that moment, but throughout the ages, past and and future, and you're included in that. And so what, God has, what, the, what the Lord has decided to do is to strip himself of some of his attributes. And he has set them aside. And he came into the world like anybody else had ever come into the world as far as a natural childbirth, although it was a virgin birth. And he came all the way through to that time that he was going to hang upon the cross. Now, think again of what it meant for Christ to hang upon the cross. It wasn't the scourging, it wasn't the nailing, it wasn't the piercing, it wasn't the whipping, it was the sinning. Not his, yours. As all of the sins of the world, now that's all of the sins of the past, present, and future were laid upon him. And so Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord's praying and the scriptures tell us he was sweating blood. What is it that would touch the core of who he was to such a depth that he would have the stress about him? God for the very first time because of the great love with which he has for mankind yet while we were still sinners he took sin upon him now think of that in context what it means for the very first time now if I do something for the first time it's the first time in 59 and three-quarter years I'm holding on to that last quarter before I enter 60 Martin Joby just had a birthday I think it was yesterday I was giving him a hard time he reminded me that my time's coming But for God, when he says the first time, it's the first time in eternity past. And so God has taken sin upon him, and on that cross, what did he yell? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing the separation that sin brings to mankind because Jesus was fully man, yet being fully God. And so he was focused upon this time and what was going to occur upon the cross. The devil couldn't change his focus. Remember in the temptations of Matthew chapter 4? If you bow down to me, I'll give you all the nations of the world that which you have come down to achieve upon the cross, I'll allow you to avoid the cross. And the devil apparently had this because he is the God of this age. I'll give you all of these. Well, Jesus knew that this is a temporary, temporary kingdom, and he refused it because he understood what his focus was be, his purpose was. The apostle Peter couldn't change his focus. I'll even die for you, Lord." And I can just imagine the Lord under his breath kind of chuckling, appreciating the passion, but understanding the reality of the matter that Peter could not even die for himself, let alone the Lord Jesus Christ. The difficulty of it all, again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw how the Lord passionately prayed, if there be any other way, allow this to be taken from me, and there was not. In Philippians 2, 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient. He determined to be... Now, if I tell you to be obedient, you know, I shouldn't really say this because my wife's here, but I mentioned Crème de la Crème with the Napoleons over there, and uh, that evening somebody brought me a Napoleon uh, from there. And since he brought it to me, and he paid good money for it. I had to eat it. Now, I put it in the refrigerator, and I didn 't eat it that day. But the next day when I came in, I came in around noon, I 'm off on Mondays, and I came in, and there it was. And I just thought, I need to be obedient and eat this. And you're saying you're thinking, big deal, where's the obedience in something like that? Well, if this was a pleasurable experience to the Lord, now, it's the joy that was set before him because he understood, the, you know, what was the, the results of this were going to be. But still he needed to be obedient my point is we're only be obedient to that which is contrary to us or that which we don't want to do and here we see the lord he became obedient to the point of death now when you see his death in this particular context the wages of sin are death the only reason that he died is because not he sinned but sin was placed upon him so he was obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross so if you or someone approaches you with an issue over Jesus, referring to himself as third party, what God is doing here is he's making reference to the Son. He's making reference... Messiah, so that we fully understand the plan of God, that Jesus was God and this is God's plan, that God truly is one, but also He's three persons. And so I just mention that because some people will try to use this as a proof text. You can look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. They try to use that as well. But this is God speaking of divine things in a context so that mankind can understand them. So again, Jesus did ask if there's any other way in essence he was asking if there was any other acceptable sacrifice and the silence spoke volumes the second way that our savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was it replaced the old look at verses eight and nine previously saying sacrifice and offering burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Really, there's no commentary necessary here, but I have to fill up my time, so I will. But my point here is, I guarantee you, I guarantee you this, that if Jesus was not the acceptable sacrifice in the sight of God, today there would be a temple, a temple, and there would be sacrifice going on in Israel. Right now, the Dome of the Rock would never have been there. God would have preserved his people. He would have preserved the temple, and he would have preserved the sacrifice. But it's very interesting during the time of Christ, give or take, the temple was completely gone away. Well, what do you do with stuff around your house that you no longer have use for? My wife will say, well, my husband, he puts it in the garage, but what my wife does, she throws it away when I go to work. Why? It's just taken up space and it's no longer necessary, and that's what God has done. It's taken up space and it's no longer necessary because the sacrifice has been made. Look at verse 10, the last one, or the last three words, once for all. That was speaking of the sacrifice of Christ. It was done one time, no more continual sacrifice, and it was done for everybody. That means everybody, once again, past, present, and future. So again, we need to see the magnitude of the perfect sacrifice or this better sacrifice. If it was still necessary to be going on, mankind would not be able to hinder it. There's another coincidence, if you will, in history. When the temple is rebuilt will be when the morality of man has been fallen down. It'll be when the church is taken away, It'll be at the rapture of the church. It's then that the temple is going to be rebuilt. Now, God is going to be, now, it's still salvation by grace and faith in, in the Lord. And right after we're raptured, people will come to a faith in the knowledge of Christ. But God is just going to rebuild that temple for the purpose of winding down, um, really, winding down this world and all that's connected to it. Turn in your Bibles over to the book of Acts, chapter 21 a failure, a potential failure of the Apostle Paul. Now, especially if you read the book of Galatians and then the book of Romans as well, if you know of those books, keep that in the back of your mind for what Paul's about to do here, when he's even encouraged by the church. Um, James enters the picture. This is not the Apostle James. He's dead at this time. This is James, who's the uh, stepbrother or second brother, whatever it is, of the Lord. He's the one who wrote the epistle of James. He kind of enters in, because again, you need to understand that the church was still in its immaturity here and still learning and still trying to put the pieces together. It says in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. So he's gone into the church. James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem at this time. When he had greeted them, He told them in detail those things which God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law but they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are amongst the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Well, that's a good thing that Paul's doing that, but they're kind of looking down on it. What Paul had said in the book of Galatians, if if you're circumcised and you think because of that you're going to be right with God, you're indebted to keep the whole law. Now, if we're indebted to keep the Ten Commandments, we fail. But again, there's 613 commandments. Somebody somewhere counted them all. 613 commandments that you have to keep in perfection if you're going to go in that direction. Verse 22, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. So they're really concerned about what the Jews of the day are going to think about this. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. This would be a man, uh, I'm sorry, a vow of the Nazarene. I'm not going to get into that, but it's a vow listed in the Old Testament. Verse 24, take them and be purified with them. Be purified? He's already purified. He's purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Take with them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself walk orderly and keep the law. Well, see, these things aren't true. But verse 25, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such things except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Even with the Gentiles, they're starting to pile things on. This isn't a good thing. This is a failure of the church, and Paul almost failed, but God, if he offers that sacrifice, if he goes in and offers that sacrifice, You really need to tear Galatians out of your Bible. If he goes in and offers that sacrifice, you need to tear the book of Romans and assorted other pages out of your Bible. And really, it discounts what happens in Hebrews as well. Verse 26, then Paul took them in, and so it looks like Paul, you're going to go do this? And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of dates of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. There's a problem here. Remember, we just saw in verse 10 back in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 that it was already done once for all. But I'm not going to go through and read the rest of the chapter, but God stopped it. God put a stop to it. And the reason that God put a stop to it is to preserve the witness of the Apostle Paul, but also to show us that the sacrifice is no longer necessary. Now keep it in mind, go ahead and turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, cha- Hebrews is written about two to four years before the fall of Jerusalem, before the fall uh, of the temple. This is God preparing the people for that very purpose. So, This brings us to our third point. The third way that our Savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was it consecrates the Christian. Verse 10 By that will we have been sanctified or consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You don't need to be sanctified again and again and again and again. Once you've been sanctified, once you have been saved, you are separated from the world to be consecrated, to be sanctified or made holy or made righteous is to be set apart from all that is contrary to those things. The church is to be set apart from the world. The believer is to be holy or set apart from the worldly. And all that we do, all that we do is not for the benefit of the world or even ourselves. It needs to be done for the glory of our God. The Old Testament mindset behind sanctified, well, is to be set apart by God for the work of God. Now, this morning, when I get here, I sit with, we have prayer men at 9 o'clock. Anybody wanting to come to join us? We just pray for the church that day. And um, most of you know Gene. Gene did a devotion today. And I'm sitting there, and he's reading this verse in Romans chapter 8. And God ministered to me through what Gene had prepared. And he showed me something that, I don't know if I've seen it before, I didn't remember, but it just really hit me as I was sitting there. And now we know all that, we go, that goes on in the world and all that we fight against in the world and all the temptation and all of those things. And one of the verses that Gene wrote, I'm sorry, well, he didn't write the Bible, so I'm sorry. One of the verses that Gene read was Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Now I've read this and I'm always thinking of the revelation of heaven. That, you know, in the midst of all that goes on, God is going to reveal heaven. It, It reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, as he's reading that, I know that verse, and so as he's reading it, I, 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 a lot of times when somebody will read a verse, I'll recite it in my mind just as an exercise and, and just to see where I'm at with my memorization and if I had memorized it well, and I did very well with this particular verse except for the very end. It says, compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us, is what I had remembered it as, but that's not what it says. It says, in us, the glory The glory is the presence of God. Now, you're told that if you're a born-again believer that God dwells inside of you. Sometimes you wonder, where is he? Sometimes when you go through hardship, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, when you're going through the sufferings of this present time, you're wondering, what happened to God? Or where is he at? Or or even myself, as I've sinned again, is God really with me in all of this? But there's going to come a time when the glory or the presence of God will be revealed that is in you. You'll see that God was with you every step of the way. Later on in the chapter, towards the end, we're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's an amazing concept when we think about it. And all of our imperfections and so we need to see and understand the degree to which the Christian truly has been consecrated or separated from the world God pulled you out of the world and then he dwells inside of you just as surely as when he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage had the tabernacle constructed so that he could dwell within them and how do we how do we state that the glory of God was amongst his people well the glory of God is with you you if you're a born-again believer even today. It's an amazing concept. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, what's the will of God? What's the will of God in your life? Well, I have an easy slam-dunk answer for this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, now it's greater than this, but this is a great starting point, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you would live your Christian life separating you from that which is contrary to God. You would, now, you're already going to heaven, but don't you want to present your body to him as you're commanded, as that living sacrifice? It's already not because of salvation. It's, already, it's for salvation. You're already saved. But I want God to bless this life, and I want God to use this life, and so I need to sanctify it from anything that would be unclean. So paraphrasing this verse, because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, you have been firmly planted into the family of God that for one time and for all times. It's an amazing work which God has done. How do I know? How do I know if I am a partaker of this? Well, what's your nature? What's your nature? Because nature dictates appetite. And so you look at what you have an appetite for and that will reveal what your nature is. So what is your appetite? Do you hunger and thirst for the world and its fruit or do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you have that desire to understand and to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ? What's your behavior? Do you conduct your life according to your senses, according to what makes you feel good or how God has directed you? Are you governed by the Holy Spirit? What is your environment? What environment have you fostered about yourself and your household? Is it that which is maybe decorated by your past or decorated by the worldly? Or have you set it apart? Have you cleansed it from those things and set it apart for the glory of God? There should be things of your past that you have done away with. What's your associations? Are you associate, predominantly, do you associate yourself with the world or the worldly or with the god, with god and the godly and once again another quick check today are you born again and seeking after the things even that we're speaking about today or are you just simply bored again putting that hour in cuz NFL season starts today and my team's playing in a little bit and then family's coming on and this and that and so on again are you born again or are you just bored again And then the fourth way that our Savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was it abolishes sin. Abolishes sin, completely does away with it. Verses 11 through 12. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of the Lord, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There was no longer any reason for him to do any work fifth way that our savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was it did in the devil verse 13 from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool it did in the devil the devil's time is limited remember at the gatherings jesus came to that demon possessed man and they said what do you have to do with me in understanding who jesus christ was well have you come to torment me before my time and so the devil understands that there's going to be a time of torment his time is coming And the scriptures point it out, and so Old Testament, and that's why the writer of Hebrews uses it, uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, till his enemies are made his footstool. What does that mean? You may have seen it before. It was something that was common in the uh, gladiators. When a gladiator would prevail over another, he would make his enemy his footstool. He would put his foot on his neck and he would look to the person of authority, and was it going to be thumbs up or thumbs down? If it was thumbs up, he'd let him up, but if it was thumbs down, he'd kill him. But either way, he was making his enemy his footstool. He was putting his foot on his neck, and that's the idea here when it comes to the devil and those who are in opposition to God. Those who are in opposition to God who seem to be prevailing even today, there's going to come that time when they become the footstool of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read about it, the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Then the sixth way that our Savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was, it made us mature, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected or matured forever those who are being sacrificed, matured in the Lord and the things of the Lord. Just real quick, this is to the men. I guess it could be to the women. You can poke your man with your elbow if you'd like on this one. Um, I, I don't know exactly the date of the first or second week of October. I'm going to be starting a class in lieu of the men's small groups. It's going to be on Tuesday night. I'm going to do it in conjunction. I just mean at the same time as the women. But my intent is I'm going to be calling it Men Move to Maturity. It's going to be going through the basic elements of faith. It's going to be a great time to disciple wherever you're at in the Lord. We're going to look at the basic elements of what it means to be a Christian so that you would know, and you would know that you're maturing in the Lord. I I just look at the landscape of Christianity today, and I see there's a lot of immaturity in us who are supposed to be leaders. And it's going to be designed to bring us up to that position of maturity, well, the position of leadership, that we would be mature leaders, leading our wives, leading um, our, our children, leading the church and the Lord and the things of the Lord. The seventh way that our Savior's sacrifice prevailed over the old was, it performed what he had promised. Verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Your sins and lawless deeds, if they come exposed to me, I got a hard time. I've got to overcome those things, especially if you did me wrong. If you hurt me, you hurt mine, even though you repented, I got to constantly overcome that, those feelings and those thoughts. But God, your sins and your lawless deeds, God has supernaturally chosen to no longer remember them any longer if you're a born again believer. And really what that does once again is it cleanses the conscience. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter anybody's convictions or legalism that they try to drop on me. I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. So regardless of what anybody says, I'll go by what this says. And and this says, then he adds, their sins, Mike's sins, and Mike's lawless deeds, God says, I will remember no more. When God determines to do something, it's going to come to pass. Matter of fact, because of the cross, it already has. And it's just a blessed thing that we have, that we are able to depend upon our God who performs what he promises. Verse 18, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. It's why Jesus is ultimately the better sacrifice he died on the cross one time for all of humanity and so as far as ministry that's our purpose it's the same purpose as it was in the apostles in acts chapter 2 ladies will be studying acts this year in your small groups uh having the introduction this this tuesday night But our purpose, our mission is the same as it was in Acts chapter 2 all the way through to some 2,000 years later and as long as the Lord gives us. Why? It's just because now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. The sin, I'm sorry, the offering has already been made. And what do we do? We just simply tell people of that wondrous time at this point in history that God entered in and did away with the inferior because he has something so much better for you. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have thought of us, and it's an amazing thing. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God thinks of me. God thinks of us, and he's with us. He's told us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Father, right now, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the thoughts that you had towards me on that day that you were hung upon the cross. Lord, I want to thank you for the thoughts that you had towards me every day in my disobedience, in my rebellion, and in my sinful nature, that you continued to think towards me, and that you had that future and a hope for me, even when I was undesirous of it and unknowledgeable of it. And even that day of my salvation, I was definitely thankful. But even today, so many years afterwards, I'm thank you thankful, Lord, that you continue to think of me and continue to use and continue to bless. And Father, this is just me making it personal in my life. I pray, Father, that you would make it personal in the lives who are here of those who are here today. And so, Father, I just even pray for this last worship song. I pray that we would sing like saints, that we would sing like saints who know that we're saved. And Father, that we would give you the glory based upon, Lord, this last worship song is supposed to be a response to what we've just been reading. And what we've just been reading is just an absolute miracle of what you have done. And so, Father, just bring joy upon this place. And I just pray, Father, if there's anything that needs to be repented of here by the believer today, that we would repent of it, Father, and that we would continue to move forward. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who's not a born-again believer, I pray if there's somebody here, Lord, who has been unreceptive of the sacrifice, who maybe is looking for a, another way when in actuality there is no other way. I pray for somebody who's carrying guilt and has no peace in their life. I, I pray, Father, for the person who has refused salvation, has come up to it, to its very doors, but have turned away. I pray that you would turn away no longer. I pray that truly these things would be considered today and that you would submit yourself to Jesus Christ, that you would enter in through belief and receiving of the Lord. Receiving of the Lord, as I just stated, is just just believing and just asking that Christ would come into your life. And as we do this, it's God who directs us in the midst of doing so. And so once again, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'm going to give an invitation. And the invitation, again, isn't so much for salvation because that happens between you and God. I just pray that it would be a result of your salvation. And so if you've yet to commit your life to Christ, If you've yet to to receive of him, you can do so now, but have an outward expression so that the body of Christ would be able to rejoice with you. Because this is a family, and as we see a new birth come into the family, well, there's only one way, and that's through that outward expression. Is there anybody here who has yet to receive Jesus Christ or has just received Jesus Christ? Raise your hand and just allow me to acknowledge it. I'm just going to acknowledge it amongst the body of Christ and we're just going to pray with you as a group. Is there anybody here today? If you're in the overflow, you can do it out there, but don't come up to the gates of salvation and turn away once more. Open your heart to the Lord. Is there anybody here today who has done that? That you would share this with the body of Christ? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand where I can see it. Is there anybody at all? Father we rejoice in this, and this is a great thing Father then that means in this last song, Father, I pray that through your spirit we would truly get have an awesome response within our souls that is expressed through our voice in this place to your glory and so Father, I pray as we wrap this service up that you would lead our worship even right now we ask in Jesus name amen we you all stand please a couple of things first.